Well, as we prepare to look together to Lord's Day 39, I'd like to read two of the passages that are summarized by the truths we find there. First, from Proverbs chapter 23, and then after that, from Romans 13. Proverbs 23, beginning in verse 12, says, Apply your heart to instruction, and your ears to words of knowledge. Do not withhold correction from a child. If you beat him with the rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with the rod and deliver his soul from hell. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart will rejoice. Indeed, I myself, yes, my inmost being, will rejoice when your lips speak right things. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day. For surely there is a hereafter. And your hope will not be cut off. Hear, my son, and be wise, and guide your heart in the way. And then he offers in the next couple verses uh, counsel against drunkenness. And then in verse 22, he says, Listen to your father who begot you, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy the truth and do not sell it. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. And he who begets a wise child will delight in him. Let your father and your mother be glad, and let her who bore you rejoice. Amen. Turning then to Romans chapter 13, speaking of another authority, now not parents, but the governmental authorities, the magistrate, says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers, attending continually to this very thing. Render therefore all to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Amen. Now, Lord's Day 39 asks us, what is God's will for us in the fifth commandment? Honor your father and your mother. The answer is that I honor, love, and be loyal to my father and mother and to all those in authority over me. That I obey and submit to them as is proper when they correct and punish me. And also that I be patient with their failings. For through them, God chooses to rule us. Amen. Congregation of God beloved in Christ, 
There are few words in the English language today which are more despised than the word submission. Ours is a self-centered and independent culture. We don't like anyone to control us. We don't like the idea that our well-being is tied up with the decisions and the actions of others. With the poet Walt Whitman, who was uniquely American, our culture asks, What do you suppose will satisfy the soul except to walk free and own no superior? That's what the natural man, the sinful man, desires. To be utterly free, to own no superior to whom he must answer except for himself, his desires, his mind, his thoughts, him. Ironically, ironically, that self-centered independence is actually a form of bondage. It's a prison of sorts. Binding us not with brick and mortar, Not with bars of iron, but binding us with the passions and the sins that enslave men. And the only way we can escape that prison of our self-centered passions of the flesh is by submitting to one who is greater, to God. And to those whom He sets over us. It's only in submitting to Christ that we can be freed from the penalty of sin and the judgment of God. It's only by submitting to the church that we are freed from ignorance and loneliness. It's only in submitting to the government that we're freed from the fear that evil men will harm us. It's only in submitting to our parents that we are freed from the hopelessness of finding our way in a world that we can't understand. Only in the way of submission will God's people find true freedom. And so the Lord has given us this fifth commandment in order to urge us on to the submission that will free us. Submission that He has ordained for our good. In explaining that fifth commandment, Lord's Day 39 teaches us that God's grateful people willingly submit to His chosen authorities. And that's our theme. God's people willingly submit to His chosen authorities. And the heart of that lesson, the part we consider first, is what we find right at the end of answer 104. Where we learn that God's people submit expecting the blessing that God promises through His authorities. And that's our first point. We expect the blessing that God promises through His authority as we submit. But we really need to start with the basics. Kids, what do we mean by that word authorities? Authority simply means that the person is in charge. They have legitimate power over someone else. They have the right to command others and to expect them to obey. There are a whole group Whole groups of people who fall into the category of authority. Your parents are authorities over you, their children, right? The teachers in school are authorities over the classroom entrusted to them. The principal is an authority over all of the students and, in a sense, over the teachers, right? We have 
police officers who are authorities who can stop us when we do wrong. And they're actually an arm of a greater authority, the authority of the state. We have all sorts of authorities out there. And we have authorities in here too, don't we? We have elders who shepherd us, lead us, guide us, teach us what God would have us do. And ministers who who apply God's Word to our lives. Those are direct authorities. Some are derived authorities, like police officers are actually derived authorities. They're serving the greater authority, which is the governor or the president, right? Members of the Army and the Navy, the Air Force and the Marines, they're serving under the presidential authority, the executive power authority of our nation. But what that tells us is that we're, we're surrounded by authorities of various sorts and various levels. Folks who have the right to rule over others. The question is, how did they become authorities? Who gave them that right to rule over others? A reading from Romans 13 gives us the answer, doesn't it? There is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. It is God who put them there. God who gave them the right to rule. Remember, our God is completely sovereign. There is nothing over which He lacks control. But as soon as we say that, someone complains, someone raises their hand in the back of the class and says, what about the drunken driver who killed someone in a crash that could have easily been prevented? Is God sovereign there too? And the answer the Bible gives is that God is sovereign over all things. We don't always understand His purposes But we know that He is so sovereign, so in control, that He's able to use even the brokenness of a a sinful world, even the evil of men's sins, in order to accomplish His perfect and ultimately good plan. Nothing is outside of His control, including the bringing of children into a family, the election that exalts one and deposes another. God is the one who establishes every authority. Kids, it was God who decided that you needed these particular parents whom He has set over you. Congregation of the Lord, it is God who put the 14 elders of this congregation in this congregation and the 10 deacons. And God is the one who put President Trump in the White House. God has set them there and God is determined to use them to accomplish His good will. Now, of course, that's not to say that they all do His will knowingly. Many are the rulers in our world who hate God, who deny that the true God exists. And yet, even though they reject Him, unwittingly they serve Him. Think of how God spoke through (coughs) Isaiah 44 about the Persian king Cyrus who would restore his people from the exile. The exile hadn't happened yet. Cyrus wasn't even born. Persia wasn't really a world power yet. And yet already God could say, you will go into exile. You will be there for 70 years and then I will raise up this man named Cyrus to be king over the people of the Persians and the Medes and he will decree your return from the land of exile. That's how sovereign our God is. He calls that into being which is not. Nor does He use only those who seem to be good rulers. Sure, we celebrate God's goodness when He raises up a David or a Hezekiah. 
But what about an Ahab, a Jeroboam, a Manasseh? What about the Roman emperors who so harshly mistreated the people of God in the age of the apostles? Well, even of these, says Romans 13, they are appointed by God. And ultimately, they will accomplish His will. So what is that will of God that they accomplish? Well, Scripture shows us several different purposes for which God raises up His authorities. Romans 13 makes it clear that the government authorities are called to administer justice. They are to do good and to protect those who do good, which is defined biblically, by the way. So that means ultimately the government is intended to protect the church and to allow for the spread of the kingdom of God. But those who do evil, the authorities are to punish. They're to cause terror to the evildoer. They're to bear the sword on behalf of God Himself. And then Proverbs 23 shows us a couple more purposes for the authorities that God raises up. Verses 13 and 14 show us that God raises up authorities to exercise discipline that will benefit people. Remember what Hebrews 12 says about discipline. It says, no chastening, no discipline seems to be joyful for the present. Kids, you can all recognize that, right? When mom and dad send you to your room without supper because you were misbehaving at the table. When dad spanks your behind because you disobeyed. When you get grounded or privileges taken away because of the way you behaved. That's not pleasant, is it? But, he says, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. See, God raises up, dis, or raises up authorities to exercise the discipline that will bless us, the discipline that will mature us, the discipline that will, that will ultimately lead us to Him. A little later on in Proverbs 23, it shows us that the authorities are meant to guide people into wisdom. Think of verse 15. I'm sorry. Um, a little after 15. Do not let your heart envy sinners, Do not be, but, but be zealous for the fear of the Lord. When your parents discipline you, they're not just showing you that it hurts when you cross them. That's not what they're doing it for. And they're not trying to teach you that you have to do whatever those who are bigger than you tell you to do. They're not teaching you to be bullied. What they're teaching you is that when you disobey God, it hurts. And when you obey God, it blesses you. That's what they're teaching you. So when you get punished, recognize it as that lesson. That's the wisdom that God is imparting here. Parents, that also, by the way, means that when you impart that discipline, you need to make sure that you emphasize that lesson. I don't want to punish you, but you've done wrong. And because you've done wrong, you need to know that that's going to hurt. Because if you don't learn that from me, then you're going to run afoul of God. You're going to live a life of disobedience to God. And that hurts in a way that is eternal. Right? They need to hear that. Now, there's no question that sometimes authorities do go astray. That happens all the time in our sinful world. 
And there's no shortage of ways in which they can go astray. They might exceed the purposes for which God has put them there. Government seems to love doing that. Or they might intrude upon the freedom that you ought to have. Or or they might act in ways that appear, at least to your eyes, to be unjust. Or perhaps they'll even lead in a way that is ungodly. But if they're... And if their straying is bad enough, God may raise up new leaders who will replace them. Sometimes through elections, right? We have ungodly leaders who do terrible things and we have an election and and a more godly leader is put in place. In a dire case, God might raise up other leaders to overthrow the wicked leader. Think about Saddam Hussein by Acts that were terrible and unjust. He terrorized his own people and incited terrorism throughout the world. But the people were called to submit and to endure until such a time as God raised up other authorities to overthrow him and then to replace him. So even under terrible leaders, men are not free to independently rebel. They're to submit to the authorities until God raises up other authorities, perhaps a lesser governmental authority whom they can follow in replacing the evil one. But it's not okay to simply rebel against them when they do what we think is wrong, when, we, when they do what we think is improper. We're told whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment upon themselves. As long as God is pleased to maintain the authorities who stand over us, We must remember that through them God chooses to rule us. It's a man who sits over us holding that authority, but it is God who is using that man. It is God who is guiding and building and giving us wisdom. So our calling is to expect His blessing and to submit to them as our act of submission to God. That's our calling. And that's a trust that we can and must show by expressing the honor God commands toward His authority. That's our second point. We expect the blessing God promises through His authority, and we show that we expect His blessing by giving those authorities honor. Do you want to be free? Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Then do what is good. And you will have praise from the same. He is God's minister to you for good. And we should treat Him as such. How do we do that? How do we honor our authorities? Well, it depends on the authority, doesn't it? But ultimately, it's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of submitting to God and revealing that we submit to God by the way we treat those whom He has set over us. First of all, it means respect. Romans 13, verse 7 says, Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor. To whom honor. And again, Proverbs 23, Listen to your father who begot you, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Honoring the authorities over us means that we show them respect. Sometimes that's hard, isn't it? When they do things that we think are unwise or unfair. When they act in ways that show that they probably don't deserve much respect. But even when the individual who is in that place of authority 
acts in a way that shows that they don't deserve respect. We respect and we honor the office. Because it was God who gave that office. I have lived under a number of legislators whose decisions I have deeply disagreed with. In fact, thought they were wicked decisions. And a wicked misuse of the constitutional authority given to them. But as long as God has set them over us, we must show them honor. Recognizing that ultimately the authority belongs to God and that He will do what is good and what is right. So no matter how much we disagree with or dislike our authorities, we must refrain from rudeness or disrespect. God doesn't want us mocking the authorities who are over us. He isn't glorified when we berate the legislators or the elders who make decisions with which we disagree. He doesn't smile at children who scornfully treat their, children, their parents as equals, referring to them by their first name or mocking the things that they've said. When we do that, we're really scorning God. We're mocking Him. We're treating Him as our equal. And we must not. We must respect Him by respecting them. And what's more, we must... Love him by loving them. Proverbs 23 says, The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he who begets a wise child will delight in him. And why is that? Because when that child shows wisdom, when that child obeys and learns the lessons given, he's showing love to his parents. What did we read again in Romans 13? Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves has fulfilled the law. God wants us to go the extra mile to show love to those who have authority over us. Now that looks different depending on the authority. A young child shows love to his mother by maybe coloring a picture for her. A wife shows love for her husband by listening to him when he's had a hard day. A citizen might write a letter to thank his representative, his legislative representative, for passing a good bill. A church family might invite their elder and his wife out for dinner to show their gratitude and their love for his work. We show love for that person in authority over us by going the extra mile for them. And it's important that we do. As we show love for that authority, we're showing love and appreciation for God who has set them over us. By showing love for our, our parents, our teachers, our elders, our governors, we're, we're recognizing that even when we disagree with them, even when we think that they maybe made the wrong decision at some point, or, or haven't always acted perfectly, we trust God. And we know that God has laid a burden on these men, and sometimes these women. It's heavy, it's weighty. I mean, think about your elders. They lead the church with the knowledge that the decisions they make, they have to answer to God. Not just for whether they've chosen properly, but for whether they have led the people of God into greater holiness, into a greater love and knowledge of God, or whether they have led them astray, knowing, remembering the words of Jesus, it's Better for you if you have a millstone tied around your neck and be tossed into the depths of the sea than to lead one of these little ones astray. They live with that knowledge. So love them. Pray for them. 
Honor them. And show them loyalty. That's another way that we can honor those in authority over us. Showing them loyalty. God wants us to defend our authorities against those who would dishonor them. Not, not necessarily because we're such big fans of them. We might be, or we might not be. But we should have loyalty toward them because God has put them over us. For an example, the state Supreme Court here in Iowa. I would find it hard to disagree more comprehensively than I have with some of the decisions of the state Supreme Court of Iowa. However, God calls me not only to not dishonor the justices of the Supreme Court, but also to refuse to tolerate it when others dishonor them. Kids seem in some ways to inherently understand this concept. They might have arguments with their mom and dad. They might mutter under their breath at home about the decisions that dad has made with regard to their discipline. But let some kid on the playground diss their parents. And they're all over that. They are suddenly their parents' greatest fan. But adults are terrible about this. We know that we probably shouldn't mock the politicians we disagree with. We know we probably shouldn't roll our eyes at the elders. But we certainly take delight in it when others do. But brothers and sisters, we must not. We must show loyalty to those in authority even when we dislike them or disapprove of their decisions. Especially then. Because that's when it's hardest to want to protect them. Until the Lord raises up someone to replace or remove them, they are God's agents. And our loyalty to them reflects our trust and our loyalty in Him. That's not easy. To express honor that God commands toward His authorities. In many cases it's easy enough. But those politicians you dislike, that teacher you can't stand, the cop who's writing you a ticket, they can present a challenge. And yet still God calls us to respect them, to be loyal to them, even to love them. And if you, you doubt that, think about what Peter wrote to Christian slaves. Who has more justifiable difficulty honoring those set over him than a slave? But Peter says to them, Be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and to the the gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable if because of conscience toward God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. And then he adds this, To this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in His steps. In other words, we should follow the example of Christ who suffered unbearable anguish for us at the hands of the authorities, but who did so without retaliation, without threats, without harsh words. He entrusted himself to God and knew that God would use this ultimately for the good, and he did, for the ultimate good of saving us. Brothers and sisters, this calls for much prayer. On our own, we will, de- we will delight in mocking and slandering and second-guessing those whom He sets over us. But God is able to so soften our hearts that even when we disagree with, even when we deeply disagree with what our authorities have done, we can love them. We can honor them and we can be loyal toward them. 
And finally, the Lord calls us to submit to those authorities by embracing the obligations we owe to those authorities. Honoring someone can be somewhat subjective, right? Am I showing them respect or not? Am I, am I truly being loyal or am I not? There are lines and those lines are kind of fuzzy. But God also calls us to submit in very objective ways. Ways where the lines are clear and evident. Submission is either there or it's not. And those objective means of submission are obligations that we owe to those authorities over us. And again, there are three of them. Obedience, submission, and patience. We owe our authorities obedience. The whole concept of what Paul expresses in Romans 13 demands obedience. God set these authorities over us. They establish laws that we must follow. They judge those who break those laws. We need to follow the laws. Listen to to the counsel of 1 Peter 2. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as those who are sent by him for the punishing of evildoers and the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. In other words, we need to obey them because by our obedience we glorify God. We need to accept their decisions. We need to heed their judgments. We need to do that because these authorities are imposed on us by God, and when we obey them, we honor Him. But what about when they're wrong? What about when they're wrong? Whether the authority is is mom and dad, or the elders of the church, or the U.S. Congress, must we obey when they're wrong? Well, listen, the authorities in this world are sinful, And they're broken, and they're sometimes foolish. They will make mistakes, the very best of them. They will make grievous errors, calling on men to do what is probably not wise. But listen, if obeying them does not involve us in sin, then we must obey. You might think it's terribly unwise that we have an income tax system that takes so much money and does so in a way that is really kind of underhanded through, through withholding, so that people don't recognize in an easy way how much money they're giving to the government. But it's the law of the land and we must submit to it, right? Even if you don't like it. You can appeal their decisions. In fact, there are times when we must appeal the decision of the authority over us. If the elders make a decision that you believe would harm the church, you must appeal that decision. And there are appropriate ways to do that that are laid out in our church order and that are guided by the principles of God's Word. If you don't appeal, then you consent to that decision. And you have no cause to complain, no cause to grumble. But even if you do appeal, the authorities might not agree with you. And then you have to submit even though you think it unwise. The only exception to that rule, there's only one, is when they call us to disobey God. We see a beautiful example of that in Acts chapter 5. Peter and the apostles had been told by the high priest and his associates that they must not preach Christ. They had been doing that in the temple. And the high priest was vehement. His orders quite serious. He even sent Peter and company to jail to impress upon them the need to not preach Christ. 
But that night an angel of the Lord freed them. And they immediately went to the temple and began preaching Christ. Well, of course, that was quickly brought to the attention of the high priest. They were arrested. They were brought back before the Jewish council. And those men of authority, they said, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But listen, listen to their answer. Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. See, that's the dividing line. That's the the, the exception. When the authorities call on us to do what is wicked, what is an obvious exception to God's law, we must obey God, not men. Up until that point, we give in to them. But at that point, when they call us to disobey God, we must say no. But understand that when you encounter that exception, it will cost you. When they heard this, they were furious and they plotted to kill them. Peter and John and the rest, they said, we have to obey God rather than men. They said, then you need to die. Thankfully, there was a wise Jewish elder there who spoke to them, who brought them down off the cliff, as it were, and told them that that was unwise. But even then, when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. They beat them. They reiterated their unjust law. And then they let them go with the obvious threat that if you keep this up, you will lose your life. Almost always we owe obedience to those in authority. If we believe they're wrong, we can appeal them. But if they call us to disobey God, then we must disobey them. Knowing that we will pay the price, but knowing too, they can only afflict the body. God holds our soul. So that's our first requirement is obedience. The second is Submission. God wants us to submit to the authorities when we're wrong. Kids, you've all had it happen, I hope. Not because I hope you disobey, but I hope you've been punished for it. Might have been a spanking or a swat. Might have been getting sent to your room or being forced to write out a Bible passage. Might have been any number of consequences. But whatever it was, your calling, when you were caught disobeying, your calling was to submit to that punishment. What you must not do is try to escape the punishment. You mustn't lie to the one in authority over you. You mustn't try to blame someone else. You mustn't try to flee the authorities. Because to do any of that is to rebel. Listen again to what God says to us through Romans 13. Whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. And then he says, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. The Lord wants us to submit when we do wrong, because by that punishment we will be blessed. We will be taught to walk in the way of righteousness. We will be taught to take up wisdom. We will be taught to submit ultimately to God. So we must obey, we must submit to the authorities, and finally, we must be patient with them. The authorities over us are all sinners. 
like every one of us, they have faults, they have failures, they make mistakes. Some will be so corrupt that they will willfully do wrong. But God has ordained to use those authorities for our good. He used David for the good of Israel, despite the murder of Uriah and the death of 70,000 Israelites because of David's census. He used Herod to bless Israel, despite the murder of the children of Bethlehem. And he uses all of our leaders, from the greatest to the worst, likewise, despite their sometimes glaring and amazingly large sins. Abortion makes it hard to be patient with them. When we dislike an authority, when we disapprove of what he's done, we want rid of him. At the very least, we feel like undermining him so that he will seem illegitimate in the eyes of those around us. But God says, no, submit to them. I have given them. I will use them for your good. Remember when Paul wrote this from Romans 13? Very likely the one on the throne was Nero, whose persecution of Christians was to that time absolutely unheard of. But nonetheless, he says, submit. Because in submitting to them, you submit to me. Folks, here's what it comes down to. God is in charge. He's the one who has set every authority over us. He's the one who promises to use those authorities to advance His kingdom and to bless His people. And our calling, our calling is to believe Him. Not them. Him. To trust Him. To submit to Him through those whom He set over us. It's not a popular idea, even among us, even in our hearts. But God will use our submission as a witness to a watching world and also as a means of blessing His church. May He empower us to do that which is so difficult for us. And may He be glorified as we submit to Him through them. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, You are the one who sets these authorities over us. You are the one who has blessed us and provided for us. Often in ways that we don't even understand. And you know our hearts. You know how quick we are to criticize, how slow we are to obey. But Lord, we pray that you would teach us to be submissive to you through these authorities you've set over us. That you would lead us to trust you as you guide and rule through these men you have ordained. And Lord, we pray that you would use our submission to show the world that you make your people different. Trusting you no matter the circumstance. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.